Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, if you will, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We've been studying uh, the book of Nehemiah for now several weeks, and uh, the idea or the theme behind the book is Arise and Build. And uh, we made this statement early on in the study that Nehemiah is just an ordinary fellow. In fact, he's one of the few uh, in Scripture that is given the responsibility that he's been given, and really he does not have any significant position or title uh, he was not a prophet. Uh, he was not a priest. He was just an ordinary man. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope that God can use me. And I hope it gives you hope that God can use you. Uh, because he was an ordinary man who had an extraordinary God who did extraordinary things through him. And uh, last week we dealt with Nehemiah, the man of prayer. And we dealt with the fact that in chapter 1, when he was moved... With the condition of his people, he began to weep and to fast and to pray. We have a record of his prayer in chapter 1, a phenomenal prayer, as he asks for forgiveness for the sins of the nation as a whole. But he also goes into the fact that he needed to pray for forgiveness for the sins of his father and the sins of himself. And, uh, oh, that we can be that way. We ought to pray when we see a brother or sister overtaken in a fault. The Bible talks about those that are spiritual ought to try to restore them and pray for them. But the truth of the matter is we ought not be so caught up in that that we miss our own failures and faults. And we ought to be willing to pray and ask for God to forgive us and to help us to do better in those areas. And so I want to encourage you in that. And then last week we dealt with the first part of chapter 2 and the importance of uh, Nehemiah knowing where his strength was and where his source was. Here we had uh, King Artaxerxes who... Uh, at that point in time was the world empire ruler, if you will, of the known world. And those that came into the presence of the king, this was amazing to me last week as we thought about this, but uh, those that came into the presence of Artaxerxes were not allowed to have a sad countenance because to have a sad countenance meant that they did not believe that the king was all sufficient for everything that they needed. And while they had a, to put on a false front with a human king, You and I have the king of all kings, and we should never come to his presence with a crestfallen face because the truth of the matter is he is all sufficient, and we can certainly rejoice in that. I don't care what valley we may go through. I think that's what is so important about the scripture when it talks about that we ought to rejoice all the time. We ought to have this great joy in the Christian life. I was listening to a preacher a few weeks ago, and he made this statement. He was teaching on the subject of joy. And he said there's happiness that's described in Scripture, and then there's joy that's described in Scripture. And he took me to, he took the, the listeners to several uh, passages of Scripture dealing with the topic of joy. And in every case, joy was attached to suffering. And he said the joy is to go through the valleys with. It's what we can anchor ourselves to. And so Nehemiah knew what it was to trust in an all-sufficient God. And when Artaxerxes comes, comes to him and says, what is it that thou desirest? Uh, the Bible says that the first thing that Nehemiah did was he began to pray to God. I mean, here's the king that can give him everything he needs to do what's on his heart to do. And yet the first thought he had was to go to God in prayer. And that's kind of where we left off last week as we got down to verse number 4 and verse number 5. And so we find in verse number 4, and we'll pick up reading in chapter 2, verse 4, just to get a running start and make sure that we continue the continuity and the context of everything here. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to uh, me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which, uh, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that it shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When the servant, uh, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Father, we come to you. Lord, I know that I need your help this morning, and the truth of the matter is all of us sitting here this morning need the aid of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand, to fully integrate the truth that we'll learn this morning from this passage into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, I know there are a lot of things that can quench the Holy Spirit, and I pray that whatever those things may be in our hearts or in our lives or in our minds this morning, you would allow them to be laid aside. And Father, may we pray at the onset of the message that whatever your truth is, if you'll show it to us, that our answer will already be yes. Lord, may we not struggle with truth. I pray that you would not help us as your people to sit here and try to rationalize, but that we will take the truth for what it is and to realize that the truth is for our best interest and for our good, and it will be for your glory. So, Father, we ask that you would lend aid this morning, and I know it doesn't matter a whole lot what I say, but, Father, it certainly matters a whole much, a whole great deal, what your Holy Spirit will do in our hearts and in our lives. And so I pray that you would allow him to work. And, Father, may we be sensitive to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find here as Nehemiah is asked of the king what he desires that God has in his providence brought about the circumstances to get Nehemiah in the place to be able to do a great work for him. And I just want to say this. I was talking to a fellow yesterday about the, the providence of God and how that God brings certain things many times into our lives that sometimes we may understand what he has in mind, but sometimes and a lot of times we don't understand what God has in mind with him, do we? There's a lot of times that things will happen and, and we'll question and we'll say, Lord, I'm not understanding why you're putting me through these things. And, and then later on in life, sometimes we can look back and see how God knew exactly what he was doing. Or sometimes we may never know until we get to heaven and then all of a sudden we'll see the big picture. and We'll see what God was doing and we'll say, Lord, what an amazing thought. Because the truth of the matter is our thoughts are not like God's thoughts, are they? And so Nehemiah was one of these men who could trust that whatever God brought into his life was what God wanted. 
If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, do you realize that not one thing can happen in your life that God does not allow to happen in your life? If we can understand that truth and and know that truth, it helps us to rejoice in everything that happens to us. I shared with uh, the fellow I was talking to yesterday about the time that my, my father got terminal pancreatic cancer and suffered for nine months. I mean, just horrible suffering. And I know that our family is not the only family that's had to go through something like this. And there may be folks sitting here today that have had to deal with some prolonged illness or something that you, you watched a loved one suffer. And we watched my dad suffer for nine months. And he had been faithful to preach the gospel for 40 years. And I'll be honest with you, it was very easy for my mind to go to this place. Lord, why, after 40 years of service, are you putting him through this? And I didn't understand it. And I'll be honest with you, I questioned God. I said, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing this. My dad passed away and I became the pastor after him. And I told the fellow last night, I said, in the next 12 months after my dad passed away, I sat at four bedsides of people who went through the same thing. And it took about three or four of them before I finally looked up to God and said, Lord, now I see. Now I know why you put me through that, why you put our family through that. Or you see, I could have never been able to sit at those bedsides and wept with those families and prayed with those families had God not allowed me to go through it and known what they were going through. And I thought of that so often as my life has taken so many circumstances At the things that sometimes aggravate me or frustrate me. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. (laughs) Somebody does something to you that maybe you don't like. You have to stop and wonder, Lord, why is that that that's in my life? Maybe it's for no other reason than to build my patience and my faith. It could be that a dear one of mine, a friend of mine or someone that I know is going to go through something similar in the future. And I may need to be there to help them through it. Nehemiah was one of these men who could trust God for the circumstances of life. That whatever it was that God brought into his path was what God wanted him to do. And in this passage, we're going to find, and it'll probably take us two weeks to cover this topic, but we're going to find not just Nehemiah the man of prayer, but we're going to find Nehemiah the man of perseverance. Because some things are getting ready to happen to Nehemiah that are going to take him through some deep valleys. I'm talking about valleys that many ordinary people would look at and say, if that's the way I'm going to be treated while trying to do God's work, then I'll just, I'll just leave God's work undone. And the truth of the matter is, it ought to be drawing us closer to God. It ought to be causing us to go to God and say, Lord, I can't make it through this valley alone. I've got to have your strength and I've got to have your grace. And so Nehemiah is getting ready to go through some things. And it's very important that we understand this first part of the passage that we've read this morning because it's key to Nehemiah being able to endure the things he's getting ready to go through. Let's look very quickly at some of the things that take place here as we get to verse number 4. It says that he prayed to the God of heaven, and then we go to verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah and unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. Now understand that Artaxerxes is the king of the world empire, the Persian empire at this time. And he has a lot of countries and a lot of cities that he has 
uh, inherited as part of his rule and as part of his reign. And he puts them to tribute. And in this case, Jerusalem lie in waste. The walls had been built again, uh, almost to the point of completion. And some of the enemies and opponents of Israel came and, and destroyed those walls again and tore them down. That's what brings Nehemiah to this place. And he goes to the king, and for the king to grant this kind of a request to one of his people is an amazing thing in and of itself. Any other king of Persia, I think, other than Artaxerxes, would have laughed at him or given him some kind of a, an ultimatum or even maybe even killed him for even the request. But God had put Artaxerxes in this place, who was the, the uh, stepson of, of Queen Esther. If you remember the story of Queen Esther, we believe him to be the stepson of Queen Esther. And God had put, even back in the time of Esther and all of those circumstances together, for just this time. He had put this king in this place at this time so that God's work could be done. And so Nehemiah makes request of him in verse number 6. And he said to the king, uh, and, and the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall I journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set a time. What an amazing thing that God did here in the heart of the king. There are going to come times that we're going to have to deal with circumstances and people that many times we think they don't have a heart for God. They don't love God. They're going to have a problem with what I'm trying to do here. And God may intervene on our behalf. Nehemiah not only was a man of prayer, but he's understanding that the circumstances that God allows to happen here in his life are for the purpose of getting God glory. And for Nehemiah's good. I want you to notice several things here. First of all, the work that Nehemiah is doing is a good work. Because he goes on to say in verse number 7 and 8, as he's requesting these things of the king, and then he goes on down to verse number, uh, the end of verse number 8. The Bible says, And the king granted me according to, and I want you to notice this, according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see that phrase? If you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, you ought to underline that phrase. We're going to find it numerous times throughout this book as Nehemiah constantly refers to the good hand of his God upon him. And I want you to notice that the work that Nehemiah is attempting to do here is God's work. And because it is God's work, we can say that it is a good work. And I think that every Christian ought to understand that the work of God is a good work. It's not something to be shunned. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that we ought to look at and say, well, I don't want to be offensive to people. God's work is a good work. Amen. We ought never get to a place where we look at God's work and say, oh, that's that's not a good thing. We, we, We might not want to do that. Nehemiah knew this was a good work. I want you to notice, secondly, that his call was clear. God had put these things on Nehemiah's heart and in his life. We understand that Nehemiah was uh, certain of God's calling to do this work because God had put these things in in words to, to Nehemiah to say, Nehemiah, these are the works that I want you to do. And so God had spoken to Nehemiah and given him these things. He had given Nehemiah the grace that it was needed to understand uh, that there needed to be a desire and a willingness to do his work. So God had brought some great grace to him. And then God had given the divine providence. 
I used to tell young people many times that when you find out that you have a desire to do God's will and he's enabled you with the ability to do his will and he provides the resources to do his will, usually that's God's will. If you leave any one of those three out, you can pretty much mark it down. That's not God's will. For you might have a desire and you might have a talent, but if God doesn't provide, it's usually not God's will to do that. Or perhaps you have the desire and God provides, but you don't necessarily have the ability. So we find that these things took place in Nehemiah's life where he realized that he had a calling from God to do this work, this good work. And then Nehemiah's motives were pure. We'll find here in a few verses that he's accused of trying to raise up a rebellion among the people. And Nehemiah had no desire to raise up a rebellion among the people, but Nehemiah had a great desire to do the work of God. So he had right motives. He had right methods. He was attempting to do God's work God's way. And by the way, methods do matter. We live in a day and age where a lot of churches say, well, uh, you know, the, the methods aren't real critical. The end kind of justifies the means. The truth of the matter is methods do matter to God. Not only do we need to do God's work and use His Word, but we need to do it God's way. If you don't believe that methods are important, tell Uzzah that. I think I shared this last week about the transportation of the Ark of the Covenant. They tried to transport it on a cart, which was not God's method, was it? And it started to shake, and the Ark was getting ready to tilt, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady it. Great, great sincerity about him. Certainly, we would look at it from human eyes and say he's doing a good work, and yet God struck him dead. Not because he didn't have a pure motive, but because he used the wrong method. Methods are important. When we serve God, we need to do God's work God's way. By the way, I've never seen God ever use a tool of Satan to accomplish his work. Can I say that one more time? I've never seen God use a tool of Satan to accomplish his work. I know God gets glory in spite of what we do. But God's never for using God, uh, Satan's tools to do his work. God's chosen to use his people to do his work. And so we find that the methods were right. And then I want you to notice also that his dependence upon God was there. Nehemiah was not attempting to do God's work, God's way, without God's help. There are times that you and I begin to do God's work, and we may even say we're going to use the right methods and we're going to do it God's way, but we never seek for God's power on our lives. The Bible teaches us so, so clearly that we are to be endued with power from on high. In fact, when Jesus spoke to the disciples as he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he, he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And one of the gospels actually records this statement as he got to the end of that, as he was teaching them to go and reach people with the gospel and to disciple them and teach them in all things. He said, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we find that coming to pass. As the time of the uh, Pentecost was coming and the power of uh, the Holy Spirit came upon those apostles. And they began to do a great work. And I've often wondered this. Are we out of God's will when we attempt to do God's work, God's way, without God's power? For I know that many times in my life and in my ministry I've attempted God's work and I've even attempted doing it His way. But I've not sought for His help and I've not sought for His power and His strength. And I'm going to tell you that that is a fruitless labor. 
It gets to the place where you labor and you labor and you labor and there's no fruit and there's no there's no result from it. And you don't see God doing anything or giving an increase and you get frustrated in it and you begin to say, then why am I serving God? I think the most important part of the Christian life is not going out and knocking on a door and telling somebody about Christ. I think our first priority to God is that we love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. And that we seek to draw close to Him and have His aid. And if we can do that first, then God will send us into the highways and hedges with His power to do His work. And as we knock on doors and as we pass out tracts and as we talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, He will give an increase. And I often wonder if we're out of God's will doing God's work God's way without God's power. With that question being asked, I have to ask this question. How much do we seek for God's power on our life? How much do we pray for it? How much do we ask the Lord to search our hearts and try our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in me? Is there something, Lord, that's going to quench the Holy Spirit from doing what He wants to through me? Nehemiah is depending upon God. He relies earnestly upon God for His blessing. I don't know too many of us here that don't want God's blessing on our lives. And so God puts His good hand upon Nehemiah. Now this is key. That Nehemiah understand these things. He better know that God's work is a good work. He better understand that the call was clear. He better know that his motives must be pure and his methods must be right. And he must depend upon God. Because the trials are coming. And if he's not anchored in these things, then he will be moved by the persecution. And can I challenge you that when we attempt to do God's work here at Keith Heights Baptist Church, there will come opposition. And we must be established in these things. We must know that God has commanded us to do them. We must know that the motives are right. That we do it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We must know that our methods are right. We must do it with dependence only upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Bible says, without me ye can do what? Nothing. Not one thing. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It's empty. Must be with dependence upon God. We must anchor ourselves to that. Otherwise, when the persecution comes and the opposition comes and people begin to say, you can't do this anymore, not in the 20, uh, in 2017, not, not in this century, not in this time period, not with this generation, you can't do it that way anymore. We'll be swayed by that if we're not grounded in these things. Nehemiah had these things nailed down. He knew that the good hand of his God was upon him. In verse number 9, he says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Can I tell you this? These two men were controlled by none other than the prince of the power of the air. The principalities and powers of this world. For you see, when somebody rose up to do God's work, it angered them. 
It caused them to be grieved that there would be somebody seeking the welfare of another. You know, I've been in churches where Christian people, by testimony at least, were upset at somebody doing something for God. Why were they grieved by that? Why would we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our heart, the, the, the Holy Spirit to be grieved in our hearts to the point where, where we are starting to, to, uh, to criticize or to be critical of those that are trying to do God's work God's way? These two men were influenced by certainly powers that were not of God. Because here's Nehemiah trying to do God's work God's way with the right motive with his people to seek for the welfare of his people and for the welfare of his name. And these two men become irate about it. They're upset about it. And the Bible says that it grieved them. And I want you to notice this because not one word of Scripture is there by accident. The Bible says that it grieved them what? What is it? Exceedingly. I mean, to the point where this was an extreme with this. This was not a couple of men who were just disappointed. But these were two men who from this point on in the book are going to make every effort to stop God's work. And they're going to use some pretty dirty tactics to do it. But Nehemiah is grounded. You know why Nehemiah is grounded? Because of the good hand of his God upon him. And I tell you this, my friend, we've got a great God. And He will enable us to do a great work, even though we're ordinary. God, if we will allow Him to, can work in us and through us. You know, the Bible says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I've heard preachers preach that that verse before, and they don't finish the verse. Because the rest of the verse says, According to the power that worketh in you. So to the degree that we have God's power working in us, that's to the degree that He'll do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But it must hinge on God's power. Because we can't do it. We can't do God's work and see results from it. There were people criticizing the Apostle Paul. Some of them were saying, well, I'm of Paul. And some people said, well, I'm of Apollos. And some said, I'm of Cephas. And a few of them were really pious. And they said, I'm of Christ. And Paul said, this ought not be so. He said, for the truth of the matter is, some of us plant, and some of us water. But only God gives the increase. And here's Nehemiah. He is getting ready to be attacked by Sanballat and Tobiah. But he is anchored because of the good hand of his God upon him. When the winds blow and the tempests come, when the persecution is there and we are tempted to give up and quit, remember we have a great God. God said this, in fact Christ said this, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We can take the gospel to a lost and dying world, but it's Christ's job, it's God's job to draw men to Him. Nehemiah was anchored in this thing. He's going to be unshaken, as we'll see in the next, in the next few weeks. As he's a man of perseverance, 
Not because he was some great man of character. Not because he was some extraordinary man. He was just ordinary like you and I. But he knew of an extraordinary God that could do extraordinary things. This week we may go through some trials. Can I encourage you in this? You have an extraordinary God. And He loves you an awful lot. Let's not be shaken. Let's smile at the storm. When I was a kid, they used to sing that little song in Sunday school, With Christ in your vessel, you can smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm. As we go sailing home. If you're here this morning, you've trusted Christ as your Savior and He is your God. Anchor yourself in Him. Don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Don't be blown about by every criticism that comes your way. Anchor yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the burdens come and the trials come, don't get bitter at Him. Some person mistreats you. Don't, don't run away from God. Run to Him. Because that's where our strength is. In the face of persecution, run to Him. Be established in the good hand of our God upon Him. Next week we're going to pick up there. We're going to see some of the specifics of the things that happen that Sambalat and Tobiah are going to do. I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing to see what God can do in the face of persecution. Because we have a great God. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, it's an exciting book. We can learn so many truths from the life of Nehemiah. Lord, we look at him and it's easy for us to say, what a man of character. But the truth of the matter is he was just an ordinary guy who had an extraordinary God. And Lord, the beauty of that thought is that I have the same God He does that can still do extraordinary things in our lives if we'll let Him. Lord, I pray that You would help us to say as the psalmist did, O God, Thou art my God. Lord, may we love You more than we've ever loved You before. May we become passionate about You, that we would love You with all of our hearts and with all of our souls, with all of our minds. And Father, once we've established abiding in You and drawing close to You, then Lord, may You allow us the privilege of serving in Your harvest and to sit back and watch You give an increase. Father, we live in a world that is in destruction mode. If we were to compare it to the story of Nehemiah, the truth of the matter is we would look at our world and say the walls are broken down, the gates are burned. I pray that if it doesn't break our hearts, that you would help our eyes to be open to it. That we would be so compassionate on those that are in this world who don't even realize they have need of you. That our compassion would grow. That our hearts would be broken. And that we would anchor ourselves to You and ask for You to allow us to do a great work of sharing the Gospel with those that have never heard. Perhaps even to those that have heard but have rejected before. And Father, that we could do it with power. 
that we could do it with your aid so that you could give an increase. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's not saved, I pray that you'd help them to understand truly and fully how much you love them. That you gave your only son to die in their place. And that if they'll simply put their faith and trust in his shed blood, that they can be saved. The message has not been for those that are lost today primarily, but I pray that you would help those that are convicted of that to allow us during the invitation time or after the service to take a Bible and show them how they can be saved. For Christians that are here, Lord, maybe we just need to come to you and say, Lord, I need to anchor myself in you. I've lost sight. I've lost a view of who you really are. Lord, there's the truth of the matter is our hearts grow cold. We begin to doubt or sometimes we begin to get so focused on the circumstances we forget who you are. Oh, not consciously. But this world has a way of wearing us down. And Lord, may we be drawn so close to you that we are built back up to do your work. Arising and building to do what we can to reach our communities and our nation with the gospel in our generation. Father, may we be a powerful lighthouse. May we be salt and light as we go about our week this week. May our hearts be broken for our world and our country. Bless the invitation time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're not going to embarrass anybody, but if God has spoken to your heart this morning and you need to do business with Him, we like to provide opportunity to do that here at our altars. There's nothing special about an altar other than it's the place where we meet with God many times. I know you can meet with Him in your pew, and that's fine. Sometimes coming to an altar gives accountability, gives us a time and a place that we can look back and say there's where the decision was made. If you'd like to make use of the altars, our altars are open. If you need someone to pray with you, if you'll just let me know, we'll be glad to come and pray with you. Some may prefer to pray alone and just do business with God, and that's fine too. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I plead with you, don't leave here today before you get that matter settled. Trust Christ today. We'll have our instrumentalists play just a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, we're not going to plead with you. This isn't time to struggle with a decision. I hope our decision was made before we ever came to church. That, Lord, if you'll show me your truth, I'll walk in it. My answer is already yes. But that we would just simply yield to it. Would you come this morning? Our instruments will play. If you have not been spoken to by God, if he's not worked in your heart, would you pray for those that he has?
thank you. May you lift your heads. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in word of prayer. Visitors, let me say thank you so much for being with us. I hope and pray that the service has been a blessing to you in the singing and the preaching and the fellowship. And uh, certainly, if there's any ways uh, that we can be of help to you, uh, please let us know that. We'll help you any way that we can. And good to have the Orr family visiting with us today. And I think I saw one or two others around the room I haven't had a chance to meet yet. And I look forward to meeting you after the service. Let's be back tonight at 6 o'clock. I used to say let's remember that we have a service tonight, but I heard Dr. Lee Robertson say one time years ago, you should never have to remind God's people that there's a church service. They ought to know when they are. And uh, But it's at 6 o'clock tonight if you need a, a reminder of it, okay? And uh, let's be back tonight faithful and looking forward to what God has for us. And then pray about the Wednesdays in the Word uh, that we're doing, uh, Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Uh, I'm excited about the series. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, and feel free to read ahead and uh, be prepared for that study as we meet together on Wednesday nights. I want to encourage you in that. And then uh, let's invite some folks to be here next week with us. Uh, Nehemiah is an extraordinary story. Uh, one of one of my favorite books. In fact, usually the one I'm studying is usually my favorite book because I get so excited about them sometimes. But uh, a great, great story of a man who's being used, just an ordinary man. And uh, so let's pray for that and uh, invite your friends and uh, see if they'll come and be a part of our services next Sunday morning. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. And I'll ask Brother David Rector. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I do. Go ahead and have a seat. Just for a second, I promise we'll only take about two or three minutes. Thank you, Brother Everett. Um, I've been meeting with the deacons. There's two or three housekeeping things we need to do here at the church. Um, and we'll be bringing those to the church here within probably the next week and a half to two weeks to explain what they are and what we need to do. One of the things that was needing to be done was the seal coating on the driveway out here. And um, we had talked about and gotten some bids. Brother Bob had helped us get some bids. And... Uh, so we were hoping to do it on uh, Labor Day, which is a week from tomorrow. And so we were going to try to talk to folks about what we were going to do. Uh, Brother Bob came to me, and he's got – am I okay to say who it is that's doing it? Is it okay if I mention who it is? Uh, Brother Tim Schwabert, most of you know it, uh, volunteered to help do it out here. And uh, so I went to Tennessee on Thursday and came back on Friday, and he already had about a third of it done. So I went to him yesterday, I saw him out there yesterday, and asked him how much it was going to cost us, uh, and he told me uh, what it was going to be. He's trying to get some of it donated, and uh, and then if there is any more, it'll be probably somewhere around $300 or so to have the parking lot seal-coated. Uh, might be 500 at the outside. Uh, but we did not come to the church about it, uh, and I wasn't sure when he was going to start, and he went ahead and started it. So I didn't want people to feel like, well, we didn't come to the church to get that approved. Um, it was something that is being done voluntarily, and, and much of the material, some of the material is going to be donated by some folks. Um, so I just want to make the church aware of that. We're not trying to take a church vote this morning or anything like that, but I want you to be aware of it. It's been a great blessing that Brother Tim was willing to do this. And um, so I, we'll keep you informed. Uh, the expense of it will be so negligible. I really... I hope that the church won't have any issue with it. If they do, I'll pay for it if I need to. Uh, but uh, it was something that time was kind of of the essence there, and uh, we had talked with the deacons a little bit about this and made sure everything was – we were moving that direction to do that. Uh, so I want to make the church aware of that. We weren't trying to be moving ahead of the church without getting a church vote or anything like that. But it's uh, just a blessing that the Lord's worked it out the way that he has, and I hope you'll rejoice with us in that. Uh, Brother Tim's uh, volunteering his time to do that. And uh, uh, he's hoping, like I said, to get some of the materials or all the materials perhaps even donated to us. And we'll know that here in the next few weeks. 
uh, or so I'm at. But um, just want to make the church aware of that. Okay? Is that adequate? Anybody have a question about that before we go on? Okay. I didn't mean to bring up a business item there. It uh, wasn't technically a business meeting, but I didn't want the church to be sitting there scratching their head saying, well, I don't remember doing that. Uh, but that's what's going on. And then uh, probably in about two weeks, and I will nail it down hopefully here this week, uh, we were waiting on some estimates to come in. Um, but there's a few things that just need to be done, uh, kind of a housekeeping thing here around the church of just some things that need to be uh, replaced, repaired, that sort of thing. And uh, not a big expense, so don't be fretting about it. But we'll come to the church and we'll discuss that here in a couple weeks. All right? Okay, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, the blessing of your word. We thank you for the folks that have been able to be here with us today. And uh, pray that you'll bring them back again safe. Lord, we love you. And I pray that every day you'll draw us closer to you. That we love you more than we did yesterday. But not as much as we'll love you tomorrow. And dismiss us with your blessings. We do pray that you'll give us safety. Bring us back again tonight, 6 o'clock. And that you would encourage us through your word once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Dismissed.